1: Hour number two is underway. Six minutes after 7 o'clock, Dave Campbell in for Reed Wilkins on Inside Sports on 630 Chad, I'll be here for the rest of the week. And then next Monday, Reed returns on Tuesday, May the 1st. Pretty quiet night in the uh, sporting world. No NHL games. Game 7 tomorrow between the Boston Bruins and the Toronto Maple Leafs in Boston. Round 2 will begin on Thursday with a couple of games. The Pittsburgh Penguins in Washington to play the Capitals. And then out west, the Vegas Golden Knights and the San Jose Sharks finally get to play a playoff series, their playoff series. They have been uh, waiting for a long time. Of course, they they swept their first-round series. And then uh, the Jets and Predators cannot wait for this one at all. Uh, it, or it's just going to be a lot of fun. Jets and Predators. Going to be great. That starts on Friday night. And then uh, the uh, other series in the Eastern Conference in Tampa Bay, the Lightning will host either the Bruins or the Toronto Maple Leafs. Tell you, another uh, thing I'm getting excited about is Eskimos football, and uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, The Toronto Blue Jays tonight taking on the Boston Red Sox. Big series. Uh, The Red Sox best team in the American League East. Blue Jays. Uh, they're off to a nice, nice start at 13 and nine, but a un- bit unexpected, and uh, a 3-1 lead for the Jays, getting to the late stages in that game. Uh, Jay Happ dealing tonight, seven innings. Gave up just four hits, one in run, ten strikeouts. So he definitely was dealing. There is a hockey game uh, tonight, a uh, playoff hockey game, in the Western Hockey League. Eastern Conference final game three on Left Bridge. The Hurricanes trying to get back in their series with the uh, Swift Current Broncos, and the Broncos lead that series. Two games to none, 0-0 in the first period of play. Toronto Raptors do not play tonight. They play tomorrow. Uh, game number five against the Washington Wizards. They uh, had a couple of stinkers in Washington. So uh, this series is all of a sudden a series, and a lot of people didn't expect it was going to be like this, but... Lo and behold, it is. The uh, Raptors making things difficult on themselves. Golden State Warriors can advance to round two tonight with a win over the San Antonio Spurs. That's the late game tonight out in uh, in uh, California. In uh, Oakland, the Warriors lead that series three games to one. Philadelphia 76ers can advance to the second round tonight. They're taking on the Miami Heat. And uh, the Milwaukee Bucks are in Boston to take on the Celtics. The uh, Celtics uh, in command in that game. Uh, pretty close game between the Heat and the Sixers. Uh, they're, uh, the Heat's up by one late in the second quarter. But uh, very pleased. Let's talk some football in the Edmonton Eskimos. And we're pleased to be joined by General Manager and Vice President of Football Operations, Brock Sunderland. Brock, uh, thank you very much for joining us down there in Las Vegas. Uh, nice to have you back on the show. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Three-day mini camp has uh, wrapped up. It actually started with, uh, with a free agent tryout camp, I guess, on, uh, on Saturday. But uh, overall... Um, I mean, this was a different camp uh, than what we have been used to with the Edmonton Eskimos. The last few years, it's been more of a, a rookie camp. But uh, tell me about the vibe uh, this time around, because you were here last year uh, for, for minicamp camp uh, when you when you first just you know came on board as GM and VP of Football Ops. But what was the vibe this year like? It was a great vibe, a lot of energy. I think all the players.
0: Especially the vets were excited to get back at it, excited to see each other. Um, you can see the camaraderie of the group just on how they greeted each other at the airport, the dinners, the hanging out, studying the playbook, in the meetings, and then on the on the playing field, it was just great energy, arguably the best I've seen for a mini camp, whether it was Ottawa, the Jets, any team I've been with. People were flying around. It was fast-paced. And uh, you know I think a lot of that is because we've got the same schemes on the, both sides of the ball, so uh, guys didn't have to think as much. They could just play fast, and it really showed.
1: Yeah, could, could you tell right away when, uh, you know, I mean, day one is day one, right? And quite often day one is you got to knock the rust off, I and mean, these guys haven't run around like that for a while. But uh, uh, did you did you notice right away that, hey, like these guys are picking it up easy? Yeah,
0: I really, you know, both Jason and I commented on this. We didn't see a lot of rust, but there's some guys that are new to the team that were slower than others, but all the incumbents and the people that were Important cogs of what we did in 2017 picked up right where they left off, and it was as if we were playing just yesterday. So it was very refreshing to see, exciting to see, and I think everybody here is anxious and excited to get going here in just under a month
1: yeah how much is this going to be a really good jump off point for for your group that uh you know the the, the physicality and, and the speed the pace of of practice is going to pick up and i mean it's a different training camp for this team this year because you you play fast and then you play even faster after your first game and then you got an open uh week for the final week of training camp which i know you'll be very busy um with uh, with, with your players uh but how much does this camp help going into the main camp it's a huge, huge help.
0: We we did actually three enormous installs. Our linebacker coach told me today, he's like, we put in our entire defense. So we were putting things in way ahead of time, whereas, as you mentioned last year, it was a rookie camp, so we didn't have any of our, our signed people under contract, whereas this year we had everybody. So we feel like we just got a three-day, a full three days on the field and four days overall jump on training camp, and um, we think it's going to be really advantageous for us.
1: We're joined by Brock Sunderland, the Vice President of Football Operations and General Manager of the Edmonton Eskimos, here on 6:30 Chat Inside Sports. Brock joining us from uh, Las Vegas as the Eskimos have had a, a mini camp over the last uh, a few days. Now we had Mike Riley on the show yesterday, and uh, Brennan Albert who was hosting uh, Inside Sports last night, uh, asked him, "Okay, who is who has really stood out to him?" Um, and I think it's you know that question's maybe a bit easier for a quarterback, uh, and he and he mentioned Duke Williams right away. So as the general manager, um, when you have to evaluate so many guys was there one position group or uh you know a a, a player or two that really jumped out to you yeah
0: well, i mean the first guy i would say is mike rally i mean he's the mlp so people will say well duh but uh he he is the difference maker i mean and he picked up right where when i talk about picking up where we left off i mean our offense was in sync we were playing fast and he was um you know unleashing the ball everywhere out there on target And uh, so he's the first one that jumps out. Uh, Really, a lot of guys, you know, our receiving core, we think, is second to none in the league. So all those guys played extremely well. Um, A couple of younger running backs really stepped up. You know, Shaq Cooper uh, really had a lot of great runs, showed a lot of bursts. And then overall, our our, uh, secondary had a good, you know, they won a series of one-on-one yesterday. And that's really an offensive drill. It's rare that a defensive... A DB will will win that drill, and they did. So, um, giving you a lot of a lot of answers there, but you know, I think it just shows that we think
1: that the team overall had a good camp. And you mentioned Mike Riley being, uh, you know, he's, he's your number one leader on the team, obviously. Um, and you've lost some leaders in the offseason. You made some some tough decisions. But uh, tell me about just transitioning to the next group of, of leaders, you know, because I think you got your core, and the, the, there was a core that was together for a number of years, won a great cup back in, in 2015. Uh-huh. But you had to make a lot of tough decisions in the offseason. Uh, but there's still elements of your core there from that era. And then there was, you know, you, you've brought in some, you know, going back to last year, some some veterans that mix in uh, with that core, with, with uh, this core, and it's a new core, right? Well, that's not just us. That's every team.
0: In, in the era of pro football right now and free agency, no team is going to be the same year to year. So um, I understand that there's some very popular players that we moved on from, whether it be by trade, release, so on and so forth. Um, and I, I don't mean this. In a bad way, but just because they're they're the most popular at times doesn't mean they're always the best leaders. Not that those guys weren't good leaders, but I think sometimes I can overshadow the leadership of others, such as Aaron Grimes, JC Sheridan, Armando Sewell, um, you know, the the leader of the team, Mike Riley. So uh, we're certainly not in void in experience and leadership, I'll say that much.
1: We're joined by Brock Sunderland, the uh, GM and VP of Football Ops for the Edmonton Eskimos here on 630 Chet Inside Sports. Eskimos just completing a, a mini-camp down in Las Vegas. Uh, what are you noticing about uh, Jason Moss? It's his third year as, as head coach. Now he adds the uh, offensive coordinator title uh, to his uh, portfolio, something that he's done before. I mean, he was the he was the OC in Ottawa. He was the OC and head coach in his first se- a season in Edmonton as a, as a rookie head coach. Uh, it seems to me, Brock... I mean, it's it, it. Sometimes it's a worrisome thing in football. Well, should the head coach have a have a you know a coordinator title beside him? But there's just some people that can handle it, and Jason seems to be one of those guys.
0: Yeah, I think sometimes that's overblown a little bit. I mean, even when he didn't have the title last year, he was very active in game planning and sitting with Mike all day up things and and helping carson significantly so uh, i think just because someone has a title or doesn't have a title a lot of times the role is the same so the optics of it are different but i think the roles are the same and he's already proven that he can handle it they had a very good team in 2016 and he had both roles and that was as a rookie head coach so he's going to the year three here even more experienced and you know i'm biased but i personally think he's the best play caller in the cfl so you know we're very happy to have him do that role and, and as i said even last year he was just because he didn't have a title didn't mean that he wasn't extremely active and, and partaking in all the game plans, even some of the play calling on game day.
1: And, and the coaching staff, too, I mean, you're only good as your depth, right? And the, he's got good help around him in the offense.
0: Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, we, he and I see eye to eye on this, and I know he's spoken about it publicly, and I have too, is, you know, we feel continuity, if you have bright people, is huge. And that's what I mentioned earlier, is, you know, the energy and how fast our team came out and played this weekend, a lot of it has to do with Players on the schemes. They're not learning right away. They're getting refreshed. And the less you have to think, the faster you can play. We really believe in that. So that's a huge part of it.
1: Uh, we've talked a lot about the offense. Uh, let's maybe uh, spend a couple minutes talking about the defense. Uh, your secondary, veteran-laden. You got a good core in your linebacking core. Nice to have J.C. Sherrett back, and uh, Adam Kornar was huge to bring back. Um, the the competition at nickel is going to be fun to watch. Your D line is where I want to focus on, and uh, you know you look at your receiving core and a uh, little bit of a revamping there with your leadership. But in the same thing with your D line, much younger. But uh, what what did you see out of your D line over the last three days?
0: Uh, explosive guys on the edge and a very deep and talented interior. You know, we have one thing about some of those guys is they're very versatile. So Mike Moore is listed as a defense tackle, but he played defensive end force in Ottawa and he can kick out. He did it yeah. last time last year at times. So, you know, Alex Bazi is experienced. Quaker Botang wasn't here, but he's now a veteran. Uh, so Mike Moore can kick out there. And then some of the new signees we have were uh quick twitch they're explosive, they can change direction, and uh they play fast, so we're excited about them
1: uh what's next, I guess for you with with the roster um is there i believe there's a deadline coming up on may first right April thirtieth actually oh, April thirtieth sorry, but uh so yeah, is we there... have to
0: be to, we have to be to seventy five by April thirtieth midnight of April thirtieth, so the tough decisions have started early for you. <laughs> They have. I mean, they're they're there year-round, but now we have uh, a mandated deadline on So we had a very good meeting this morning with our entire personnel staff and our coaches. And, you know, we're all on the same page of some of our pending moves coming up here. And then we'll have the draft after that. And before we know, it's going to be report date on May 19th. And in less than a month, we're going to be on the field for real for training camp.
1: Time flies, eh? <laughs> I mean, the, the off season seems to be going faster and faster every single year now because it's just so busy. Is there an off season? I don't think there is. Oh, there's a business oh, yeah. season. Yeah. Sorry, uh, the Commissioner Randy Ambrosie declared a business season <laughs> and, a, and, a, and, a, and a season. So yeah, you're right. There is no off season. Right. <laughs> <laughs> We're joined here by uh, Brock Sunderland, GM and VP of Football Operations of the Edmonton Eskimos here on uh, six thirty. Chet Inside Sports, Dave Campbell, and for Reed Wilkins tonight. Um, you mentioned the draft, and I don't want to just uh, delve into you know, nuts and bolts of the draft uh, too much here, but um, it is next Thursday. Um, you do have a Six overall pick. You have eight picks in total. Um, I guess overall, what's your sense on the, the, the type of draft that it will be this year?
0: Well, I think I I'm a little generic in my answer every year, but I say the same thing is we'll know three years from now what this draft class is like. I think anyone that goes into it who says this has XYZ and I always say, maybe, but let's find out what happens when they really make teams or don't make teams and how they play out. Because you always have guys taking the late round or even free agents that turn out to be all-stars and even potentially Hall of Famers. And you always have guys that are first-round picks that everybody's doing cartwheels over on draft day and they just never really turn out. So there's so much that goes into it, not only of what type of player they are, but... You know, One aspect that I think people forget about is their people. And what I mean by that is if they go to a team and there's a coaching change, even just a position coach, and there's not a gel, sometimes it doesn't work out. It's not the organization's fault or the player's fault. It's just not a right fit. So there's so many different variables that go into whether a player is successful within an organization. So to say what kind of draft class is it, I always say you just don't know until you find out once they've gone on the field and, and proven that they
1: can or can't do it. You just do your work, and then you just you just evaluate, right? It that happens every year. Exactly. Um, the fact that the the NFL draft and the CFL draft are going to be about a, a week apart—it's um, not that big of a change. Uh, I think last year was like ten days or something like that in between drafts, and that's what it usually is. But you, you know where I'm getting at here is you're you're looking at prospects that are priority free agents or those that uh, it doesn't look like there's any prospects that'll be drafted this year but uh, um, the fact that the season is moving up a week early that moves up the draft does that affect uh, the decision-making process at all with with your list
0: no because if an NFL team likes to play and they draft them they're going to do it regardless of so, you know like you mentioned they're taking drafting ahead of us anyway so it doesn't really change anything I mean if if there's a guy that we love and he's taken extremely high, whether it's seven days, ten days, or a month ahead of time, that would change where we slot them on our board uh, due to the, the, where they went in the NFL draft. But the time frame between their draft and our draft wouldn't change that at all.
1: No. All right. Now, final point uh, on April 24th, 2017, a, a young man by the name of Brock Sunderland was named the vice president of football operations and general manager of the Edmonton Eskimos. Oh, look, today is April 24th, 2018. <laughs> so congratulations on that? your one year anniversary. Yes, you, you you have survived quite the year. Yeah, I don't think you expected you were going to be as busy as you were with all the injuries within the season. But uh, I guess when you look back on this last year, um, what really comes to the forefront?
0: Uh, the injuries are a big part of it uh just for the reason that you mentioned i mean it was a record for cfl so i don't think you ever anticipate a lot of injuries ever and, and you always have to juggle a little bit whether it be roster on the field and certainly cap implications but to walk into a job your are first time in the role and have a record setting year um that certainly jumps out and then more than that just how great the organization is because it wasn't just finding players uh, it was a lot of help on a lot of fronts whether it was you know, Chris Hagerman helping out on the salary cap, and Pelche with players coming in and out, Nate Hay doing a great job with the injuries and trying to get people back, and then um, I'm not going to name every coach on the staff, but it starts with Jason, and there's got to be a connection between personnel and coaches, so if there would have been any sort of disconnect or not good communication, the players that we brought in to fill in for those injured players wouldn't have worked out, so uh, just the communication and, and everybody pulling in the same direction really sticks out. There's no way that a team can be successful and, and win 13 games in spite of the adversity that we had if we're not all on the same page, and, and that was pretty special.
1: Well, I certainly hope from the injury front you're, you're much less busier than you were last year. So, <laughs> You and me both, trust me, you and me both. Brock, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we'll see you soon. Uh, training camp's coming very quickly here in Edmonton, so uh, appreciate your time as always. Thank you. Thanks
0: for having me. Look forward to seeing you out there in about
1: a month. All right, that's Brock Sunderland, the uh, GM and VP of Football Operations for the Edmonton Eskimos. Just completed a three-day mini camp down in Vegas. Uh, I'll read you this tweet from Mike Riley. It says, "Best mini camp I've ever been a part of. Great seeing all of our young talent stepping up and playing like vets. Can't wait to start the real thing next month. So, yeah, it'll be a much younger group in some respects, and in, in other respects, it will be um, a lot of veteran laden." Uh, players on the team uh, maybe not as uh, doesn't they don't have the uh, the history like the other players that were let go like an Odell Willis or um, and a Darius Bowman but uh, there should be enough leaders on this team and young players stepping up you would hope that this team is going to be a force to be reckoned with in the Western Division it's coming up to 7:24 Dave Campbell in for Reed Wilkins on this uh, Tuesday evening edition of Inside Sports.
0: You're listening to 630 Jet Inside Sports with
1: Reed Wilkins. Welcome back to the show. Campbell in for Wilkins. Uh, tomorrow night on the show, we'll be joined by uh, Jock Wilson from News Talk 770 in Calgary, host of Sports Talk with Jock. Uh, we'll talk uh, plenty CFL because it uh, looks like the CFL tomorrow, well, they've announced uh, or they've called a news conference where there will be a major announcement. And likely that means the uh, Stampeders will be the host of the 2019 Grey Cup. They were in the running last year uh, for the 2018 Grey Cup. Of course, it was awarded to the Eskimos in the city of Edmonton. So uh, we expect that we're going to hear that announcement uh, tomorrow that Calgary will host. And it's interesting because uh, McMahon Stadium is probably, well, it is the worst stadium in the league. And with the squabble between the Calgary Flames, who do own the Calgary Stampeders, and the city of Calgary... You know, it doesn't look like an arena is coming to Calgary anytime soon. Although there was some kind of scuttlebutt yesterday or the last couple days that oh, maybe the council is ready to move on it. You know, move towards a new arena. I, I don't know. Uh, but it does affect the Stampeders. So how in the heck are they going to be able to house another great cup at that stadium? So uh, we'll talk with Jock Wilson. Also Adam Braidwood, a former Edmonton Eskimos defensive lineman, now a uh, boxing heavyweight. Uh, he'll be involved in uh, this weekend's big fight, Jelena uh 50th fight at uh, the Shaw Conference Centre. Uh, so we'll hear from Adam Braidwood tomorrow. Uh, when we uh, come back from this news update from the 6.30 Chet 24-hour news centre with Kerry uh, McCarthy, uh, we will uh, spend some time reminiscing on the, uh, uh, the life of a, a great man and by the name of Ron Hader, who uh, passed away on the weekend at the age of 81, and we'll, we'll be joined by someone who uh, knows him very, very, or knew him very, very well. Uh, Campbell in for Wilkins. This is the Tuesday evening edition of Inside Sports. This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. back on the show. Last half hour on this Tuesday evening. Dave Campbell in for Reed Wilkins tonight for the Blue Jays. (laughs) Making life interesting. A little bit too interesting. They had a 3-1 lead heading into the top of the ninth inning. And Roberto Osuna coming in to uh, close the game out. That didn't happen. So they're heading to the bottom of the ninth because the Bostock scored two in the top of the ninth. So it's 3-3 heading to the uh, home half of the ninth inning. So it was looking great for the Blue Jays. They had a they had an outstanding performance from Jay Happ, which seven innings struck out ten, only allowed four hits, allowed one earned run, and Roberto Osuna has uh, blown a save. So, unfortunately for the Blue Jays, they have to uh, bat in the bottom of the ninth inning. So, there you go. At the end of the first period of play in the left bridge, the Hurricanes and Broncos are tied 0-0 in game three of their of their uh, Eastern Conference final. The Broncos with a 2-0 lead in that series. The Western Conference final will resume tomorrow as the Everett Silvertip, so will play the Tri-City Americans, the tips, with a two games to one lead in that series. Well, some uh, very sad news over the weekend. Um, Ron Hader, the longest-serving city councillor in Edmonton's history, passed away uh, at the age of 81 in uh, St. Albert. Um, I know I had the chance to talk with Ron Hader a few times and... Uh, A very good man, a fair man, and uh, I'm just going to read this this short excerpt from uh, Terry Jones' article from uh, the Edmonton Sun. Whatever Hader became involved in, it generally benefited Edmonton. And uh, my next guest, uh, we very, very much appreciate uh, having this man back uh, on our show. Uh, Someone that knows uh, Ron Hader very, very well, or knew Ron Hader very, very well. It's longtime radio host and sports columnist in this city, John Short. John, nice to have you back on the show. It's a pleasure to be back. Thank you. Um, you know, Ron Hader was was many things: uh, a politician, a, a member of the media, uh, in the PR game, in, in, in deeply involved in the sport community in, in the city of Edmonton. Uh, what's your biggest reflections on on this man?
2: Well, first of all, he was my friend.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I, I miss, the, I, I have missed for a while, my friend Ron Hader because he's been unwell in in a a care home, an institution in St. Albert, uh, not communicating uh, very well at all toward the end. Uh, So there's a place where there's room for relief over it, but that doesn't make it any more pleasant to say goodbye to a man like that.
1: Yeah, no question about it. Um, You know, what impresses me the most about Ron Hader, and it's hard to say what impresses me the most because many things impress me about Ron Hader, but, you know, when we talk about the longest-serving city councillor in this city's history, 33 years on council, serving 11 times under 8 mayors while working with 68 councillors. And, and he took a 6-year break from 1995 to 2001. I mean, that's remarkable, John. And that just tells me this is a man that was able to work with anybody. The great thing about Ron, and he and I
2: did it often, you could argue deeply and seriously and for a long time on an issue, then go have a beer or a coffee or a hamburger and go back to being just people. He honestly believed that issues could be settled, and he'd fight you, he'd disagree, he was a tough guy. But, but he kept the mind open, and that was his value. That and the fact that he loved Edmonton. If it was good for Edmonton, he would vote for it. he put himself out. I know that in all the baseball things that he did, and I was tied, kind of as a media guy, I was tied to him, uh, with him for a lot of those things. And his biggest issue was we won't fiddle any of the money away. That's Mm -hmm. not why we're doing this. There will be a fund at the end to benefit the community, and there always was.
1: And you mentioned just how much he loved Edmonton. I mean, he, he, he was a big-time booster for this city, and and you look at what he did in the sporting world especially, and this is a sports show, so this is what we're really going to focus on, but um, you mentioned the baseball tournaments. I think it's six international tournaments that he brought to Edmonton, including the first-ever uh, Women's World Baseball Championship. Um, you know, if he had an idea, he knew how to execute it, it seemed like
2: the the best thing about ron as i said was that he was a communicator he was a negotiator understand this many people don't know that he actually had harsh he exchanged harsh words with a guy named fidel castro (laughs) who listened to him when he wasn't listening to any of the major so-called major politicians in the world because he knew that if ron told him it was made out of green cheese you could go and find something to spread the cheese
1: on. He, was he a big part of giving or a big reason why the Olympics are uh, or why baseball was implemented at the Olympics uh, a while ago? I,
2: I know that he was involved, but I don't know at what
1: level. The, I mean, those
2: decisions, the Olympic decisions were made uh, by the national organization. And, of course, Ron was involved at every, at every level of baseball in the country. Sure, he was talking to them, but how much... Uh, his words actually resonated, we'll never know. And if Ron knew, he would never brag about it.
1: Do you recall, and you mentioned how tough of a guy he could be, and... Definitely, I, I have seen the. I remember seeing the side of Ron Hader, where you know this is a guy that speaks with a lot of authority. This is a guy that can get riled up, uh, and this is a guy that speaks very honestly about how he feels, as, even when he was when, when he was upset. But do you remember a point in time? And you mentioned Fidel Castro, but do you remember anything else uh, in your conversations or in you know in the in the in, in the life of Ron Hader as the you know as, as a sporting man or a politician that uh, you went whoa. why Wow, this, this guy is really, really making some very pointed arguments here. Well, almost all of them. He didn't argue for exercise. He argued if he believed something. And, and
2: one of the values of, of a guy like Ron Hader is that if you argue sincerely and you listen to the guy or the group on the other side and they make sense, you deserve the right to adjust your position. I don't ever remember, I remember Ron often walking in saying, this is how it's going to be done. And having somebody say to Ron, have you looked at this other picture? Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And he hadn't always, but he always would.
1: Joined by John Short tonight on 6:30 uh, Chet Inside Sports, longtime radio host and a uh, sports columnist uh, in this city, and just talking about uh, the uh, passing of Ron Hader and the legacy that he left uh, in the in the city of Edmonton. Tell me about the 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 legacy and the imprint he left on the uh, on the boxing scene in this city. Because I know he love boxing; he was a real big proponent, and also got into some some uh, some good uh, arguments with, uh, <laughs> with with some promoters as well. I remember, uh, or last night I was. Uh, Uh, watching Global News and uh, Glenn Carrier telling a great story about there's no way you're gonna put that guy with that guy (laughs) so he seemed to be uh, a guy that was fair but uh, I mean what what was the what was the real legacy for for Ron Hader in the boxing community well well, the great thing about Ron was that he
2: believed um, and it's almost a direct quote a loss is a loss is a loss and some guy come in here to fight or be invited here to fight promoted here as a fighter and Ron would look at his record and say, he, he's lost four fights in the last six. Oh, yeah, but he was fighting really good guys. Doesn't matter. He's not coming here. We're not going to bring fighters in here at a stage in their career where they're likely to get hurt. I remember the, the uh, Mike so-called Mike Tyson fight. Mm-hmm. They brought in a man named Jimmy Young, who was really, honestly, a, a great fighter, a very good fighter at least. And they brought him in as a sparring partner. And I give Glenn Carrier all kinds of credit. When he realized what kind of shape uh, Young was in, they didn't let him take the sparring beating that a guy like Tyson could give him. And one of the reasons that happened was because Ron Hader had always established for everybody in the fight game we don't bring fighters into edmonton to
1: get hurt yeah absolutely uh, what, what's what's the most member i know you're a big boxing guy too um what's the most significant area as far as boxing in this city that you think ron hater uh accomplished
2: well the most significant thing was as i say he underst- he, he, he never pre- intended never pretended to know anything about the quality of the fighters the record was enough for him if you didn't if the record doesn't didn't suit you couldn't make the fight Well, then of course when new people were brought in to run the boxing commission the uh... combative sports commission they call it now uh... when Stephen mandel was the mayor ron got involved with a bunch of media guys and a bunch of people in the fight game and said hey we don't like the direction of this Mm it's really important that we take another look at this and and council swept it under the rug didn't even apologize and they did that with a man who was no longer on council and i considered it a slap in the face to someone who had spent as much time as he did serving the community and that issue has never been solved mandel didn't look at it the current administration didn't look at it ron Hader, had if he had been in charge I have to believe this kind of a tragedy we that we're talking about the Tim Hager tragedy would not have happened.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you earlier, and I think you answered the question for me. Is, uh, it just seemed like with Ron Hader, you had, uh, that, you had a clear direction. You may not like the direction, but you knew what the direction was.
2: And you knew what you had to do to get him to adjust it. Uh, you couldn't just walk in and say, Ron, I'm not doing this. You had to convince him that you shouldn't do it his way, or it wasn't beneficial to do it his way, and then, and then you were fine. But, but seriously, you had to do that, but you could. He never once, to my knowledge, and I knew him well, um, I don't think he ever said, I'm not talking about this anymore.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the best attribute. And you know, I'm coming at this maybe from a, a perspective where some people who are listening may roll their eyes from a media perspective. And um, he always had time whenever I talked to him, and it wasn't near near as long as or as much as you, for example, or, or some other people like Terry Jones. I just read the little clip or the little excerpt from his from his column, but he always had the time to answer your question, and he didn't maybe didn't like your question but he was fair and honest, and he always called you back. And the other one,
2: you could it, it used to hurt Ron, and I, I know this. I did it a couple times, um, more on a, a personal level than a professional level. He'd come up with a judgment, and you'd say, Ron, have you thought about this? And his response always was, of course I have. But even at that, he would kind of turn the rock over and look at it from another side
1: no question about it john we really appreciate your time and uh, sharing some insights on on your good friend ron hater and uh my condolences to you on the loss of a good friend but uh enjoy chatting with you uh, from time to time and uh hope to have you on again soon
2: i look forward to it it, it's always a pleasure to talk to somebody who's a big fan of the city of Edmonton. Thank you.
1: Thank you, John. Appreciate it. long radio host and uh, sports columnist in this city, uh, John Short, knew uh, Ron Hader very, very well, who passed away at the age of 81. I mean, you consider, you consider just the, the record of this man. 33 years on council, 11 terms, 8 mayors, 68 councillors, took 6 years off, came back. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, some people. I mean, let's face it. Some people have trouble working with one, two people. He worked with sixty-eight counselors, and that's not to mention, you know, the other people that you have to deal with in that job. And then in the sporting community, you deal with the media, and then you do the same thing in the political game. You're dealing with boxing promoters, and some of them are not easy to deal with. <laughs> I mean, trust me on that. Uh, fighters and the baseball community for uh, was a big part of his legacy. I mean, he was elected into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. So huge. I mean, he and you look at the, uh, you know, the the social side of things and the political side of things. Um, a great regional planner, strengthening ties with Edmonton's Aboriginal community. A real ambassador. Um, yeah, really, really tough news to hear that, uh, you know, maybe the city's greatest counsellor, you know, one of the great men of this city's history, Ron Hader, passed away at the age of 81. So we appreciate John Short's insights on on his good friend Ron Hader. It's 7:47. Uh, 47 uh, The ball game is into the 10th inning, by the way. Uh, top of the 10th inning, the Boston Red Sox and the Toronto Blue Jays 3-3. And it looked like the Jays are going to win this, but Roberto Asuna allowed two runs in the top of the ninth, so it's a blown save. And uh, really wasting a strong effort from Jay Happ tonight. Seven innings, ten strikeouts. No NHL action tonight, but we'll preview Game 7, Bruins-Leafs, tomorrow when we come back in the final segment of Inside Sports.
0: This is JC Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad.
1: The final segment of Inside Sports here on 6:30. Chet on this Tuesday evening. Dave Campbell and for Reed Wilkins will be here all week. Also on Monday of next week, Reed will be back a week tonight. On the Tuesday game three Eastern Conference Final in the WHL is uh, underway in the second period now. Second period just underway. Left for Cherokee and Swift Grunt Broncos. They're tied 0 0. Broncos leading that series two games to none. Western Conference Final. That series will resume on Thursday. The uh, Everett Silvertips with a two games to one lead on the Tri City Americans. NBA tonight, the Boston Celtics uh, one game away from uh, advancing to the second round. 92 87 is the. Uh, win over the Milwaukee Bucks, so Boston leads that series three games to two. Philadelphia trying to advance to the second round, and uh, so far so good, although it's basketball, right? Uh, 70 to 59 is the uh, score late in the third quarter. Golden State Warriors can advance to the second round tonight with a win over the San Antonio Spurs in game five of their series. In Oakland, Golden State leads that series three games to one. Jays are in the uh, Jays and Bosox into the top of the tenth. They are tied at three. Game seven tomorrow between the uh, Boston Bruins and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Mike Babcock, head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs on game seven.
0: I've been on both sides of them. And obviously it's a lot more fun when you win and you get to advance. Uh, Getting started on time is always important in game seven. Mm -hmm. And so you want to be... You know, come out loose and driving, ready to jump and and execute early and get on top of the other team. Uh, Our opportunity here is we've crawled our way back to be in the series, to have uh, Boston, who I think is a real good team in the league. I think we're a real good team in the league in a best of one. I don't think you could be in a better situation, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun.
1: From the Bruins' perspective, here's the head coach of the Bruins, Bruce Cassidy, on game seven. This is a game that that players dream about
0: being in this situation uh game seven you know playing road hockey in a small town in canada or a big city in the united states or somewhere in between and and that's what it's about enjoy the moment you know prepare to prepare to play well and we did that today and i think we have throughout the series and now you got to go out and embrace it and to me that's the
1: simplest message we can give to our players and how easy is it going to be as far as David or as uh, Bruce Cassidy is concerned, that uh, his team can rebound from a tough Game Six loss. I don't think there's any panic at all in this this group. We
0: we have to outplay Toronto for 60 minutes. I think we've done it for long stretches early in the series. Recently, I think we've done it in the games we've lost. We've outplayed them, but we got to do it for a full 60 minutes. And you now that's usually the team that's going to win, unless you get some miraculous performance from an individual, which I I, I don't like to. You know, kind of put all your eggs in one basket. So both the team,
1: About the team playing 60 minutes. By the way, don't ask David Posternak about uh, any idea of things he can do to score. What adjustments are you going to make so you can start scoring again? <laughs> uh, I'm not going to uh, change anything. I keep shooting. I, I get into chances. Goal makes saves. And, and uh, I think that's a, a pretty stupid question. Okay, so David Posnock doesn't want to talk about it. Hasn't played badly. And you look at the line that he, he's on, a uh, good line with Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand, they're getting chances. But uh, Freddie Anderson's been a big reason why the uh, that top line hasn't been able to produce. So, I mean, you look at the way the games have trended the last couple of games and really the whole series, but you look at the last two games, Bruins have been flying and getting a ton of scoring chances and getting stymied by a hot goaltender. In Freddie Anderson. So you wonder, can that continue for another game in a one-game shot? And I'm sure for five of those players that are left on the Toronto Maple Leafs from 2013 and that epic 4-1 collapse in Game 7 in the third period, losing 5-4 in overtime, I'm sure for them the motivation's pretty clear. They want to erase the demons from that game. Uh, By the way, uh, Leo Komarov has been cleared to play Game 7, but it's unclear if he will actually play tomorrow tomorrow. uh, you know, you got a lineup that's playing pretty well, so kind of adverse to changing it. Oh, this was rather amusing as well. Uh, the owner of the Tampa Bay Lightning, they will play the winner of the Bruins and the Maple Leafs. Uh, Jeff Vinnick was uh, opening up, or, or was uh, part of a groundbreaking for a Marriott hotel. He joked today, <laughs> saying, I hope they go four overtimes that beat the crap out of each other. There you go. Uh, Jets practice today. Uh, Some good news. Nikolai Ehlers and Toby Enstrom uh, took part in full contact drills. Taylor Hall the New Jersey Devils. Of course, his Devils uh, ousted in five games at the hands of the Tampa Bay Lightning. He has declined an invitation to head to the uh, World Hockey Championships next month in Denmark. Taylor Hall, definitely a uh, Hart Trophy candidate. Rob Gronkowski Gronkowski of the uh, New England Patriots uh, announced on Instagram today he will be back with the team next year. As a Patriots fan, this makes me very, very happy. Dave Campbell and for Reed Wilkins tonight. I'll be back tomorrow. We'll definitely be covering that uh, game seven, Toronto Maple Leafs, Boston Bruins. For studio producer Dustin Kaufman, I'm Dave Campbell. Have a great evening. Talk to you tomorrow night.